Alright, welcome everyone to a, another episode of How I Met Your Mortgage. As always, I'm your host, Adam Smith, with Just the Tips Coaching. And with me, pretty much as always, is our marketing director, one of our other coaches, Jen Wayborg. Hey, Jen. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, it's it's a holiday. It is. So it's a it special a episode for us. Not really. And we're taking the next two weeks off, so. Oh, we are. We are. Oh, so we're going to, uh, this is our last cast for a few weeks. Yeah. Wow, yeah. cool. Well, then we're very, very fortunate to have a fresh, shiny new guest uh, prior to our hiatus, our sabbatical. So please welcome to the show my best friend in the whole world, <laughs> John Thomas. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no, Absolutely. we're uh, happy to have you. Um, in fact, I think we were talking about it before we uh, went live, but it seems really weird that after all these years, you've not been on our show. Yeah, you know, kind of weird, but... Well, but I, we're here now. It's a we're here now. I yeah. think part of it is that we're, you know, afraid we're too lowbrow for you. <laughs> Get out of here. Right, well, we've been we've been live for probably a solid 60 seconds now, and I haven't dropped an F-bomb yet. So well, well I haven't we, either. So we're in <laughs> all right. Let's we'll see how the remaining 29 minutes go. So, John, we've obviously been friends for a good long while, probably longer than we've been doing this podcast. And I think part of what would be really important for our audience to know is that, well, let's certainly do the normal background shit. How did John get started? Why in the hell did he think he wanted to be in the mortgage business? Those kinds of things. But one of the things that really, I think, attracts our brethren, our colleagues, our, you know, Fight Club friends to you is that you've always kind of done this in a unique manner to the point where it's off the beaten path enough that it gets us on stage together at certain mortgage events, those kinds of things. I mean, I do things off the beaten path just because, you know, half my brain is melted and I'm <laughs> absolutely wackadoo. Yours is a really different approach. So I do want to kind of dive into that and uh, what it is that has made John so successful for such a long period of time. We were talking about how 08 had come and gone and what weird things were going on in the industry then versus what's going on today. And we were already seasoned veterans then. So yeah, it's been a long, long run here. But yeah, tell us, John, how did... John, get into the mortgage business. I'll give you the condensed version. Give so, us the um, condensed version. I was uh, teaching high school. I owned a surf pro restoration company with a partner of mine, and sure. I was, um, and I was in a, a running a, gym, a boxing kickboxing gym and fighting myself. So, um, and that was like my thing. I wanted to wanted to do, and I ended up getting hurt. Um, having back surgery, of course, I wasn't smart enough to retire, so I kept trying to fight. But it got to the point where um, we were building the Serve Pro, which is a cleaning restoration. So I still had to get on the truck if someone called out or if a hurricane came, and it was just too much for me at, after that. So I sold out the business to my partner. Was just teaching, and a buddy of mine from college, the summer came, said, "Hey, why don't why don't you help me do some mortgage stuff?" You know, because they knew I was good at finance and stuff like that and everything. And I was like, "All right, I." 
you know, I'm kind of semi-retired from fighting. I got nothing to do with summer. So that's how I got into it. And then, um, of course got in the total wrong way, you know, no training. Hmm. They were doing subprime and, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was like, this doesn't make sense to my brain. So, um, I got in right after the refi kind of run was done. And so I was focused on purchase business and that kind of led me to how my trajectory went off. I took the teaching element purchase business and I was just said, well, let me teach some classes to home buyers. Um, and then I started saying, well, let me teach classes to realtors to try and get in front of some realtors and provide them value. And those two have been my big value sticks since, you know, forever, forever. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind as of long as I've known you. Um, and, okay. So this is a really interesting path. And I don't think Jen and I knew that you were a kickboxer and boy, now I'm really glad that when I made all those physical threats to you, I didn't. Know. <laughs> um, and high school teaching that Jen, that's right up there with yep. librarian. And Grant's going to be on the show next month. So Grant, we'll have our librarian back. Yep. Our favorite former librarian turned real estate agent. Grant, if you're listening or watching. Well, the, the, the best part was I, I had a physics degree and I taught physics. So when I was boxing, they used to, um, my trainer was like, you're the dumbest smart guy I know. Mm. <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, I can't imagine there are a whole lot of uh, professional fighters with a physics degree. Oh, they didn't even have, they used to call me the college kid. Because I was fighting in college and nobody was in college that was on the boxing scene. Okay. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh, that's the college kid. <clears throat> All right. And yeah, definitely a very weird entry into mortgages, although not too dissimilar. Um, we didn't quite have a subprime industry yet. And of course, for those of you that aren't in the loop, we kind of have one now again. Right. Um, which is, we, we don't call it that anymore. The, right. they, they're touching about that shit. Yeah, it's non, non qualified mortgage. Um, but yeah, it's subprime. Just don't tell anybody I said that. Um, gonna, gonna have a subprime account executives beaten down my door. We don't call it that. <laughs> well, you should. In any case, um, definitely an interesting entry. When was this? What summer? What year was that summer that you started to learn the mortgage space? Uh, oh, five. Okay. I got in 05. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I to briefly mentioned that I've seen you speak, I've seen you teach different events, um, Mortgage Revolution. Uh, what was the one they just recently did a week or two ago in Vegas that... Um, oh, Mastermind. Mastermind. Obviously, a lot of us don't participate in that event anymore, but I've seen you there. Um, those kinds of things. And if you don't mind, what kind of content are we putting out there? And I'm, I'm kind of steering you into describing how you've really kind of built your career on educating first-time homebuyers? So the the content, so I have a really good blog post that, uh, or website I've had since 07 um, with tons of content. Um, and that, you know, ranks on Google and all that. And I'm, I'm very, so I'm, I'm education-based marketing. So, you know, I, I push out all that content. And then I do my classes every single month. I'm doing them virtual since COVID. I used to do them live every year. I do it once a month live. And then um, COVID came and, you know, went virtual. And then it was just too easy not to go back to live. Um, plus, you know, there's pros and cons to both, but um, time is my biggest 
commodity that I run out of. So it's, it's just easier to do that. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing the classes, marketing those for the home buyer seminars. I'll be doing education pieces. Um, just my whole business is built around delivering wild service based on the book rating fans. I was fortunate enough to pick that up early in my career. Um, so I have videos that go out strategically through the process. Um, you know, real big on educating throughout the whole process, which kind of goes back to bringing them in as an educator initially in the top of the funnel through the seminar and then educating throughout the whole process. Um, that also allows me to get in front of realtors because they know I do the classes every month. They can partner marketing with me um, is, is another strategy I use, even though we know that the realtors traditionally aren't great at getting people into the room for a first time homebuyer seminar or um, but just the fact that you can offer them this marketing platform that's done every month for them is a, is a nice value add that, they, you know, you can get in front of them with. John, I know the answer, but tell our audience where you're located. I'm in, yeah, Delaware, a great market. So yeah. <laughs> my market's <laughs> been terrible. Everyone's like, why don't you just move? You'd be retired by now. Eh, is what it is. I guess that's true. All right. So in the interest of full disclosure, um, we talk a lot with coaching clients, loan originators, and real estate agents both about first-time homebuyer programs, first-time homebuyer classes, first-time homebuyer education. And I'm not going to lie, there is very little in our industry as intrinsically rewarding as a first-time homebuyer getting a home. No question yes. about it. The, the emotional reward is top of the charts. But... There's always a button, right? Um, First-time home buyers are tough. Hard to uh, we're yeah. typically not talking about people with exceptional credit. And we're typically not talking about people that are putting 20% down. And we're typically not talking about people buying million-dollar homes, multi-million-dollar homes, depending on your market. Um, I know that you guys uh, in our audience watching, listening live or in syndication have a wide variety of what your average loan amount, your average home's uh, price uh, kind of thing is. So... One of the things that we've had repetitive and redundant conversations about with coaching clients, both mortgage and real estate alike, is that these are tough transactions. And the first plateau in our program we want everybody to reach is getting to a point where your business is strictly repeat and referral. That's a very big deal to me. And we all know that people are like the people they spend the most time with. So if you're doing first-time homebuyer work, as John is, then and while building a repeat referral business, you're going to be referred more first-time homebuyers. And again, more difficult transactions, down payment assistance. And John, if you want to touch on that, I'll bet you're doing quite a bit of it. Um, potentially lower credit scores, smaller loan amounts, smaller purchase prices, these kinds of things. Then you are essentially walking down a path that is going to give you a very emotionally rewarding career, but it could also be less rewarding when we're talking about time and dollars. Those are important things. But yeah, let's go back to that, John. Does this spawn a lot of down payment assistance work? Sure, of course right? it does. Yep. Which is even more work. More landmines yep. to avoid, more hoops to jump through, so on and so forth. Um, and I'm willing to bet that of our brethren and, um, you know, you and I probably know and hang out with and socialize with the top, 
I don't know, 250 top 500 loan originators in the country on a pretty regular basis, both digitally and in person. And you've probably got one of the most time-consuming mortgage careers of that group. Uh, well, my team does. Okay, cool. Because we're going to move <laughs> into that as well. Excellent. Glad that you brought it up. But, I, I, John, you're what, 29 years old? Yeah. You've, you've got the matching five head that we all do. Um, you know, that kind of thing. No, I, I'm 29 and I feel great. Um, let's talk about your team structure. Because I do think it's important for people to understand that if we're going to target an audience like this, if we're going to build a career out of workload like this, if we are going to want to help these first-time homebuyers in droves. And for those of you watching or listening, John does this in droves. He has a ridiculously high amount of volume that goes through. I shouldn't say volume. Of units yeah, that units. go through. <laughs> Not volume, right? Okay. Um, and and the, the rest of what we've uh, discussed, it obviously leads to that. But yeah, so how does your team structure look and how does that get handled? How does that flow appear? So, um, and it, just to go back that you were talking about the workload and in the, in the, so yes, you do have tougher loans. You're going to spend more time on a pre-approval. Um, you know, you get a conventional 20% W2 borrower, 800 credit score. You could probably kick that thing out in less than 20 minutes. You got an FHA loan, three and a half percent down challenge credit. It could take an hour, hour and a half running DU 20 different ways. To get <laughs> it to go. So, um, but the, the one thing is you'll get sh- shopped less. So 800 credit score borrower, 20% down. They don't care about, some of them don't care about service. Cause I get those too. They don't care about service. It's rate and cash Dollars. to close. And, Strictly about know, the money. If the, some, oh, they're $10 cheaper. Have a nice day. Don't even call you back. Right. Um, so you, you've, you got to, there's no perfect one. So you, you got challenges no matter which way you go. Um, and if my business turned into move up buyers from all my first time home buyers and refinances, you know, a ton of refinances, um, from that database, but that kicks into what you teach about, you've got to be providing value and stay connected with your database or you won't, you'll, you won't get the line share of those transactions. So, um, you know, that segment does build into eventually, if you do it right, a bigger repeat business. Um, so, but in terms of my team structure, I want to, you know, come back to that. Um, you, when you do the volume that I'm doing, you have too many leads where I can't literally talk to every lead. It's not a, a possibility to do that. Um, and I don't like driving people to an online app because your conversion rate's lower. So I've hired and trained, keyword there, trained team members to make those initial calls. Um, and, you know, we focus on different closes in the process. The first closes, you know, get the info sheet. The second closes, get the permission to pull the credit. And then if you green light it, the third closes, get the doc so we can review it for a pre-approval. So I have, you know, I just use the term loan partner. Um, that's will, a great industry term. No question. Right. That will make those initial calls. Um, and I've actually outsourced that to a virtual position. Um, mm. I have a pretty good training program that I can bring those people in, get them trained up to speed. I have a team meeting every day at every 9 a.m. Day. Wow. with those people. We talk about every lead that came in. We look at the conversion. So opportunity, to, you know, what happened? Why didn't you get, you know, permission to pull the credit? I'm like, I don't think I've ever 
if I get on the phone with the lead, I'm getting permission to pull credit. So I'll, I'll help them through that. So I'm more of coaching them on those intakes. Now, if someone has to talk to me, like a Rosa's John, I got this doctor, you know, can you call him first? I'll call him, do, do it, but I'm still doing a very good handoff after that point and edifying the team and the wow experience. Um, and then I'll do the same thing. You know, then I'll have a licensed originator who gets assigned the file um, after we green light it and get all their docs. And then so on my team. So I'll have a basically a loan partner and then a loan partner that's a loan officer on the front end of the team. Back end, a contract to close. I have someone I call a loan concierge and then a processor. The loan concierge does all the proactive outbound communication, chases down docs, weekly status updates, one point of contact for everybody. Um, on that. And then the processor, I can have less processors because they don't talk to clients. They, they do the B2B work. They just do their high level. So I'm real big on getting someone at the highest level they're trained to do as much as possible versus having to come down and do a lower level task that someone else could do. If that how makes many, sense. How many people are we talking about in total, John? So uh, well, I've, I've laid off a lot since t- <laughs> 2022. But so right now I've got me um, three LOAs, three licensed loan officers, and then I've got one processor and one loan concierge. Okay. Because I'm pretty streamlined contract to close. I agree. We, I think you are. all the garbage up front. Yep. So and it's one of the things that we do in a fairly synonymous way. Um, in fact, we do a lot of this work in a synonymous way. I just won't put on a tie. Right. <laughs> uh, that would be weird. That would, wouldn't that be weird? Good be very Lord. weird. Even when I get dressed up, it's, you know, suit and a We shirt, all look at you and wonder what's wrong. So. No tie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm the guy whose dress shoes are still sneakers. That's true. Okay. Um, so I think. And again, this, you know, it's funny because this, I wouldn't tell people you have to wear a suit. This is just, if you build a brand, this is the brand I kind of built originally and just kept going with it, you know. Oh, John, if I saw you without a suit, it would be I, weird. It'd be weird, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my team sends out memes. Here's John on vacation at the beach with a laptop and a suit and tie on the beach. Yeah. I'm going to find you suit pajamas. <laughs> All right. So I, I think one of the things that I really want to stress here, certainly for our audience, is that your incoming clientele is a little different than mine. It's a lot different than mine. And your personality, your branding, all of these things are pretty different. However, when it comes down to making sure that people have an experience in the mortgage process that will ensure, help ensure repeat clients and client referrals, we do a lot of the same kind of things. I think Definitely. by industry definition, we've got five LOAs and two processors. Um, and obviously the job task, I guess Mindy would be our concierge, that kind of thing. Um, Erica and Sarah performing at that high level uh, mortgage stuff, so on and so forth. But I've always been a big fan of how Ray Kroc became so successful. And I'm not talking about the real estate development stuff. Right, right. That that's the real thing. But I want my operation, my operations for a mortgage process to look like a Big Mac. One person does the intake, as we refer to it, gets a credit report, does some basic data entry, opens the box and lays out the bun. Then the next person does some structure, some pricing, 
puts the patties down and lays on some lettuce. The next, and it's the same on every transaction. And at the end, there is a person who boxes it up and gives it to the customer. And I want them to be familiar with that same task on every transaction. I want them to be comfortable in it. A lot of personality profile work. We really want to make sure that everybody's doing stuff that they're best suited for, that they enjoy to enjoy doing. It makes us all more productive. It. I don't have somebody on my team that would quit without finding their own replacement, that hasn't really written their own job description, that hasn't elevated their job to levels beyond what I have asked them to do or instructed them to do because we're finding ways for them to really enjoy the work, to be really productive, to really and truly interact with clients and customers and colleagues on a very real level that enables us to have that strict repeat and referral business. Um, so I think my Big Mac mentality about it is a lot like yours. Yeah. Um, and it just makes for a better process. It just makes everything so much smoother from, yeah, contract to close, as you put it. Um, and I think that we find a lot of that with a lot of our colleagues, a bunch that we've had on the show. Jason Sharon does it that way. Um, I'm struggling, Jen. Who else have we talked to that really kind of has the Big Mac mentality when it comes to well, I, I think processes? What shocked me because I came from I own the Serb Pro franchise, right? Every, I mean, you went out for a two week training. They had manuals on everything. There's SOPs. There's checklists and all that. And I get in this business, I'm like, what the hell shit show is this? <laughs> I am betting that first uh, operation you saw in the mortgage space was not being run the way Surf Pro does. No, not even close. So you know, I just went. My brain went to okay. Let me get my own SOPs together. Let me get my own checklists and let me you know, e base. I love you know the book E Myth is a great paradigm shift book um doesn't give you the how why and what but it gives you the paradigm shift to tell you you got to change your mindset about how you know runs some a business um which is basically what we're talking about e-myth is that idea yep. of mcdonald filing your your business there the mm -hmm. part that really blows my mind uh with pretty much everybody myself included certainly all of our coaching clients because our next plateaus to make sure that people are only doing things they love to do or pay them really well, high dollar activity. And gosh, the way we all struggle with letting go of the work, with entrusting it to somebody else, with being able to have that mindset shift to the fact that there are people out there that can do it better than I can. We don't believe that. We're all right. salespeople, <laughs> right? But that there are people, Jen does her job better than I ever could have done her job. Jen teaches me her job, right? That's I mean, let's true. be realistic about this. So, but yes, that paradigm shift into understanding how to make that all run like a top is a very big deal. He misses great. He misses revisited is great. No question. Uh, some really good stuff there. If you're uh, watching or listening um, and you haven't uh, picked up those, uh, I highly recommend uh, that as uh, something you need to be putting on your reading list. No question. All right. So, John, you've seen so many shifts in our business um, through the, the subprime era, through the non-QM era, through the pandemic era, just on and on, right? Wavelengths, roller coaster ride of what the industry does. 
What are you predicting coming down the pipe? Jeez, oh, I think more of the same right now. I put, I put him on the spot, didn't I? There, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, more <laughs> of the same because it, it's we've shifted in, into a market that's going to be here for a little bit because it's an inventory challenge. There's no fix to it right now. I don't, I don't have a fix for it other than if people start losing their houses and have to sell them, because um, now we're not going to create inventory. Yeah, um, even then we're not going to create inventory. I mean, we're running at what? 10% of what would be considered healthy. It, I mean, I'm just saying it have to be some yeah. ca- catastrophic loss of jobs. John, we tried a plague that didn't work. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we, we let, you know, the government said, Hey, you don't have to pay your mortgage for three years. So that was, you know, it, and then they put a moratorium in every state almost on foreclosure. So any inventory we would have got through that is just now, literally just now going to be coming out. And it's negligible. You know, they they've let people not pay mortgages for five years almost. Um, So I think we've got a culmination of problems here when it comes to this. One of them historic Americans don't do multi-generational living. They do everywhere else in the world. Europe, Asia, Latin America. We don't do it here. We all got to have our own space. And I'm guilty. I'm part of that problem. Um, I'm not calling out any boomer behavior. So you, you older guys don't jump down my throat. It's just that you're an enormous population and you're living longer and you're staying in your homes longer. We're not gaining that inventory. And then Jen, you and your, your millennial brethren are now the only bigger population and you're all of homeowning age. The builders, and again, don't jump down my throat here, guys. We're just not building at the pace we used to. Literally like 10% of the peak. And I get it. I would be sensitive to that as well. When the real estate market really struggled, those 708 builders took it in the shorts. They did. Those are slow wounds to heal. Let's put it that way. Um, and I just think that the combination of a lot of these problems, some really old, some really new, have changed the face of real estate. And I don't think we're going to see it change much, if at all, from what we're looking at now. Yeah, I, I, more of the same. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm i with you. So it's, it's you know, you're going to see a cleansing of the business, which we've seen. I think it's going to be more going to keep happening because there's not going to be, everyone thinks there's going to be this refi boom to save the mortgage lenders. I, I again, I don't, I, you know, people are hoping for one. I'm not saying, I think they're more hoping, right? <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. We're still seeing a, hand, a good handful of refinances. We see, we're seeing a lot of- Right, but I meant like they're looking for this COVID type, no, Re- no, no. Refinance. Yeah, I, I'm saying hoping. People are hoping. Yeah, we're not going to see one hand, hoping the other. Yeah, yeah. So right. we don't. So anyone that's holding out for that is going to eventually drop out. It's been holding on. And if you can't figure out how to provide value and um, get relationships with people that are buying the houses, you're going to be in trouble. So you've you've got to be. And I always say that it's not that there's a a transaction problem. There's enough transactions. The problem is they're not picking you. And I said, if you feel like there's just not enough business, go on your Facebook feed and see how many people are crying and just got a contract or closing. Well, the challenge is it didn't pick you, right? Right. So I think for people listening, you got to focus more on how do I get them to pick me instead of saying there's not enough business. Um, And with the exodus, and I haven't seen any stats when it comes to loan originators, but I think I saw this past week that 80,000 real estate agents have already dropped their license this year. 
Now, granted, we're talking about uh, a population of a million. So right. it's not, that significant, it's not yeah. all that big a number. Right. Um, and for those of you that are in this bubble that John is describing, where there is this struggle going on, know that rates are coming down, right? This pendulum swings. We've talked about it. Rates will come down. Slow, steady, fine. However the pendulum wants to swing, it swings. We don't control that. But for the most part, people buying homes last year, this year, are going to refinance them this year, next year. Fine. There are still a ton of people. This was a great one from uh, some of Barry Habib's content. And obviously, John and I get to spend a lot of time with Barry. But um, he was a short format video, maybe an Instagram, um, talking about how people aren't buying homes because they have this great low interest rate on the home they own now. Yeah. Which yep. is just stupid. Because if you look at your debt load, your blended rate's probably 12 between your 8% car. These things have been going up. Your 15% credit cards, these have been going up. Sell your house, pay off your debt, buy a house with a 5% rate, 6% rate, and you're still saving a ton of money, right? Same kind of thing in the refinance world. We still see an awful lot of debt consolidation, home improvement, these kinds of things. The business is out there. It's just a matter of, well, I think it's important at this point for everybody to understand if you don't already, mortgage originators, real estate agents, you're in fucking sales. And what <laughs> you're selling is you. And just like John said, for all of you, you got to figure out how to make sure they choose you. There's business to be had. All right. So, yes, Jen, I see that we're going to run over our time <laughs> limit. I, it's Shocking. John. Jen, we're, we're chatting with John. I know. And I'd say he put on a suit for us today, but he probably slept in it. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's, probably, that's probably this week's suit, right? Okay. So, John, you got to come back and do another episode. Yeah, just anytime, man. I okay. love love catching up with you guys. Oh, I just totally. uh, been a little incognito over the last couple of years with my son. You know, I, I'm a real big commitment to my family. So, my son plays travel, competitive travel hockey all year long. Oh. You know, he's 16. So, now he's he's got a chance to go to the junior. So, that just sucks up a lot of my time. So, I don't really go to any industry events because I'm almost booked every freaking weekend. So that's why I've been a little MIA. Tell I got two years left and I'm done. Without telling me you're from the Northeast. I love it. Yeah. 16 year old playing hockey. And I did it. We lived through that with lacrosse. Um, fortunately, I was uh, just sharp enough to raise hockey fans and not hockey players. <laughs> oh my God. It's expensive. Very <laughs> um, Actually, it's funny because I had this conversation years ago with Joe Sackick. And for those of you that aren't, in our market, Joe is a relatively famous Colorado Avalanche player, is now the Colorado Avalanche general manager. And he told me, and he had a sibling that played hockey growing up as well. And he told me that it was something like 50 grand per year per kid to raise a hockey player to that kind of a competitive level. And I don't know about a lot of my audience here, but I don't have 50 or 100 grand in disposable income to raise hockey players on. 50 to 100 grand a year. Yeah, it's disposable. Yeah, I'd be retired if I didn't raise have a hockey, hockey player. player. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, that's another story for another time. All right. Jen, <laughs> Jen cut my dumb ass off and yeah. 
All right, guys. If you want to find out more about us, you can text TIPS to 63566. This Friday is Social Media Day Denver. So um, we do still have tickets available. You can get that info information by reaching out to us directly or, again, texting TIPS to 63566. Um, and then as soon as we get back from the 4th of July, we're going to start promoting Mile High Mastermind. We already have some great speakers lined up for this September. So that'll be September 29th and 30th at the University of Denver. So stay tuned for more information about that. Uh, but you can also get past episodes of the show. You can book a free hour of coaching with us, get a copy of Adam's book, all things, just the tips, just tips, uh, text tips to 63566. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It must be Monday Too many tips. Oh, it all is right. a Monday for sure. No doubt. John, thank you. I know carving out this kind of time. Well, for John, it's we afternoon, it. but thank you for carving out <laughs> thank you guys. to do this. We know it's not easy. And yeah, we look forward to having you back on the show. Appreciate it. Cool. For the rest of you, thanks for listening or watching live or in syndication. And you can catch new episodes of How I Met Your Mortgage almost every week. We're going to take a couple of weeks off here with the holidays, but almost every week at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can catch the podcast. What do you get? About 48 hours, Jen? It takes you to get the podcast live yeah. uh, on Apple and Spotify and Amazon Podcasts. And we will see you guys in a few weeks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you then.